Well, happy Father's Day. Um, a couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I was forwarded a message um, regarding a request by a professor at Pitcher College who teaches sociology of religion. And he would like to bring his class here to Claremont. He's visiting other uh, churches and synagogues and whatever, uh, just to kind of get a, you know, sociology, just kind of get in a broad spectrum, I, I would think. And um, I agreed uh, to meet him and his students. Now, um, a lot of I got a little bit of feedback from other people saying, you know, uh, you got to be careful. This, I think they're going to try to trick you, you know, trying to corner you, trying to entrap you. Uh, that's a term that a lot of uh, our law enforcement people here at the chapel understand, entrapment. And uh, it got me thinking about the Lord Jesus. Was he ever entrapped? Well, when you think about it, to try to entrap the Lord Jesus would be like sitting down and having a chess game with someone who knows every single move possible on the chessboard, and not only that, knows exactly whatever move you're going to make ahead of time. Yeah, he can't entrap the Lord Jesus. I, I was... Um, just going through some news on the internet and I noticed that there was an article about uh, people that were upset with the way that John MacArthur answered one of the questions and uh, regarding um, homosexuality and uh, just it really there's just a lot of comments you know oh you're not a Christian blah 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 you don't read the Bible and this you know all that kind of stuff and uh, <coughs> so I was kind of expecting, you know, the same thing. And I appreciate your prayers. I, I talked to a lot of you that said, yes, we were praying for you that morning. And, and I definitely felt the Lord's uh, help in that. It was a great time to, to uh, alleviate any, any of your fears. It was a great time. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing. It was an hour straight of just bombarded by every kind of a question you can imagine. I just wrote down a few of them. They started off with, uh, who killed Jesus? And I said, I, I admitted, I said, I did. And they said, what? <laughs> you know, I said, yeah, I killed him. I said, uh, it, it was for my sins that he came down from heaven and died on the cross and shed his blood. And so he died for my, uh, because of me. So I was responsible for his death. And then, no, 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 you know, and I said, okay, you know, and so it was these kinds of questions that they asked me about abortion, uh, homosexuality, uh, why don't we have a pastor? So I explained just real, you know, quickly uh, in the epistles, you never find any epistle addressed to the pastor. It's always to the elders, plural. And uh, <clears throat> the professor, Mr., uh, or professor, I think is. Zuckerman, he, uh, he said, uh, I noticed that you don't have any crucifix on your platform, and how come you don't have a, a statue of Jesus? And I told him we couldn't afford one, so we just, uh, <laughs> no. 
No, I was just kidding. Um, but, you know, I mean, these were good questions. And I said, well, uh, we're, we here at Claremont believe that we're to live by faith and not by sight. And a lot of people, they have to have sight things. We don't believe in that. And, um, you know, I tried to answer the, the best I could. I'm sure I didn't answer, you know, totally satisfy their, their curiosity. Um, they said, um, why is your way the only way? And I said, it's because of what Jesus said in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. I said, that is extreme exclusivism. And uh, they, you know, yeah, you know. And I said, and also in Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among, amongst men whereby we must be saved. And, uh, <clears throat> and then they ask, you know, is your, is your church uh, increasing or decreasing? And I said, it's steadily increasing in, uh, in, in people. And they said, well, that's not what's going around in the other churches. They're seeing a, a tremendous decrease. And so we had an opportunity to talk about that. They also asked, well, why aren't your women on the platform teaching? And so I showed them some scriptures um, in 1 Corinthians on that. And it was just a, a very interesting time. There was one young lady, and I could just see in her eyes that she was just, you know, she says, you know, she says, I, I'm not really religious. And she said that... Uh, I might be leaning towards Muslim, you know, Islam and that sort of thing. And then she said, um, but you know, I've got two friends that are Christians. And they, their life style is up here and mine's down here. How can I get to there? Wow. And I had, I, again, I had the opportunity to share with her. It's not anything of ourselves. It's because of what Christ did for us at Calvary when he shed his blood. And that blood paid the penalty for all of our sins. And then he gives us his spirit. And that's what you see in these, your friends. Because we're all born with a fallen nature. We're all born sinners. And the number one way of getting to heaven is first of all admitting that you're a sinner you have to admit that you can't make it on your own and there's a lot of people out there that are trying to build up brownie points or good works and that sort of thing thinking that that's going to get them to heaven and it's not and I have given you this illustration many times and that is the illustration that if this whole class we were to go down to the beach and, you know, everybody's going to swim to Hawaii. Some would make it further, but we don't, none of us would make it. It's the same thing to heaven. And one of the critics has said, well, you know, why do you think you're the only, you know, that your way is the only way? I said, well, <clears throat> have any of you flown in an airplane? You know, all the hands went up. I said, okay, so you're, you're on approach coming into LAX. You're at about 30,000 feet, and all of a sudden you get an announcement over the the loudspeaker that the, uh, this is the captain and uh, I just want to let you know that for the past 25 years I've been taught that there's only one way to land this 747 
But you know, I want to expand. I want to be free. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land it a different way. I'm going to land it on its left wing. You know? And, you know, with the people say, oh, that's great. He's open-minded. You know, this is great. No. You would have people crashing that front door. That door of the... Because there's only one way to land a 747. And there's only one way to heaven. Jesus said he is the way. And there's a lot of people, the Bible says that we've gone our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Iniquity means lawlessness. And so we had a great time. Uh, I was able to give them uh, a CD of Uniqueness of Christianity. Pray that they'll listen to that because the gospel is so you know, clear in that, in that, C, that CD that uh, you know, maybe we'll see some of these students. The first one that, uh, that I met, uh, they all came in different cars. Uh, the first guy came in and he was suit and tie and and all this sort of thing. I thought, oh man, and I wasn't dressed up that good. And uh, I got talking to him, and he's really a delightful young man. I said, uh, yeah, do you go to church? Oh yeah. I said, well, where do you go to church? He says, oh, I go to the uh, the um, the Mormon church up on uh, Baseline. And he had just gotten back from doing some of his Mormon work. And so uh, when I was talking about this, I I talked about you know the the Bible is the last revelation of Christ. Anything after that, you know? And I'm kind of looking over there, and he's looking up at the ceiling, and he's like this, you know? So I, I kind of let him have it a little bit. But, uh. but what I want to, if, if you could all turn in your Bibles uh, this morning to Mark's Gospel, and we'll start at chapter, or verse, Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, and verse 23. Now, because of that whole thought of entrapment, I, wanted, I looked up, and of course, the Lord Jesus was, there was a lot of intent, attempts at entrapment, but I just want to zero in on three of them if we have the time this morning. And uh, they're all, it's very interesting. All three are different. His response is different, and the people's response is different. And so... We want to go through this. Now, verse 23 of uh, Mark chapter 2 says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why uh, do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man. Or excuse me, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then verse 28, this is an incredible verse. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Please mark that in your Bible. That is a key verse because what it does, you link it with the Old Testament. And if you can hold your finger right in this 
we're going to continue on. Um, but if you can go over to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23, and we'll just read verse 3. It says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. That is a key phrase. It is a Sabbath of the Lord. And when these people come to your house, these cults, and they don't believe that Jesus, Jesus is Jehovah, this is, the, this is what I show them. I said, who is, the, who is the Lord here? They're talking about And they said, well, that's Jehovah. Great. Then I go over to what we just talked about, Mark chapter 2 and verse 28. Therefore the Son of Man. That's the Lord Jesus. He used that term about himself a lot. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. You can't get around this, folks. Jesus is Jehovah. He claimed it. He proved it. It's in God's word. And so... Starting in Mark chapter 3 and verse 1. This is the first incident of entrapment that I wanted to go over. There's, like I said, there's many of them in the, in the Gospels, but uh, we'll just hit this one here first. And it says, he, and he entered the synagogue again. And a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. So here he's bringing this man into the midst. <clears throat> then he said to them, that is those around that were watching him. If you, there's uh, the other portions of scripture that have the same um, event is Luke 6, 6 and Matthew 12, 9 to 14. And he said, uh, then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. So knowing that he was, they were entrapping him, they were wanting to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath, he turns the tables on them and he asks them a question. And they couldn't answer you see, the Sabbath was a day of rest, a day to recoup. And, but, the Lord, uh, but the Pharisees on this particular day sought to entrap the Lord. But the Lord knew their thoughts. And the silence that they had, no one said a thing. It must have been deafening. See, they chose evil, but Christ chose good, and we'll see what evil that they really chose. And so the Lord was asking him, what's more? Uh, then he says, and he looked around about them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Now, in another portion, it talks about him asking, how many of you, having a sheep that would fall into the ditch, would not go on a Sabbath and pull the sheep out of the ditch? 
Now, that's not recorded in this particular part, but in the other ones it is. And so the question is, what's more important, an animal or a human being? Now, in today's society, you're laughing. Yeah. In today's society, it's the animal. There is a video, a, a DVD that's out. It's about a half an hour. It's really, really good. It's, uh, it's put together by a man named Ray Comfort. And you can go online, just type in Ray Comfort, and then you want to get the video, and, and it'll, view, it'll show you the whole thing. Uh, it's called 180. And you've got to see it. It's, it's extremely powerful on abortion. Because, see, today... In today's society, you will get into more trouble harming an unborn eaglet than you would in harming an unborn child. There's something wrong with society when that happens. And so the Lord was asking him, what's more important, a sheep or a human being? Well, the answer was obvious, a human being. And so... He said to the man, stretch forth your hand. And he stretched forth his hand, uh, stretched it out, and his hand was restored as the other. Notice what happens in verse 6. And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. So their response was, we're going to see if we can destroy the Lord. So, let's take a look at the second one. The second one is, let's take a look at Matthew 22, verse 15. So, actually, in that first one, the Lord showed their hypocrisy. He showed their evil hearts that they valued a sheep more than they did a human being. And in Matthew 22, 15, and it says, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, By the way, the Herodians were Jews that were very moderate. You know, the... The, the, the strong Jew at heart hated the Romans. I mean, didn't, oh, just didn't want to have anything to do with them. You think of the Maccabees and these people that just did, uh, fought against the Romans and everything. The Herodians were kind of like, you know, let's just kind of get along, you know. Well, you know, yeah, we're under oppression, but, you know, it's not as bad as you think. And so they were a lot more moderate. So that's why the, the real, the Jews hated the Herodians because they weren't, against Rome like they were, except in when they want to go after the Lord Jesus. They got along real well then. Isn't that interesting? They had a common goal. And so it says, uh, verse 16, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. 
They were buttering them up. They were thinking that, oh, we're, we're, we're setting you up. You can't set up the Lord Jesus. He's sovereign. He's God. He knows everything. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts before we even think them ourselves. He knows our end from the beginning. And he knows that we're dust. He knows that in our hearts, in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He knows our hearts. But he still loves us. And that's why he came to die, to take away our sin, to those that put their faith in him. Tell us, verse 17, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrite? Whoa, I thought Jesus was just Mr. Nice Person and never said anything unkind. In fact, I was driving over here in the colleges and by one of these churches that has a big banner out there. And it said, we accept everybody, just like Jesus. And I read that thing and I thought, have they read the Bible? <laughs> I mean, what did Jesus tell the Pharisees and the scribes? He says, You're, you whitewashed sepulchers. You vipers. Doesn't sound like too accepting to me. I don't know. But he called these people hypocrites. Show me the tax money. Now, there was a particular type of money that was used in those days to pay Roman taxes. And then there was another type of money that the Jews used, which is called temple money. But he didn't ask for that. He asked for tax money. And so they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? Therefore, um, they, and they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. And so, every time a Jew handled a denarius, you can imagine how annoying it was for them. Because it was a reminder of them when they looked at that coin that they were under the bondage of Caesar. Even when you read in the Gospels of John where they said, we're not under, you know, the Lord says, um, if, if, um, if the Son has made you free, you'll be free indeed. And their, their response was, hey, we're not under bondage. You know, as you hear the Roman soldiers marching in back of them. I mean, come on. Yes, you are in bondage. But they, they wouldn't even admit that. So here, he said, you know, whose image is on there? And he says, render the things to Caesar, the things that are his, and to God, the things that are God's. And their question had boomeranged round about because he exposed their failure to give tribute to God. They disregarded the claims of God on their lives. Is there anybody here this morning that you have disregarded the claims of God on your life? He paid the ultimate price for your soul. The ultimate price. Nothing in all of the universe has cost 
more than your soul and mine. If that's true, and that is, then we need to render to God those things. You know, there's a difference between priority and preeminence. We went back to a, a conference um, back in North Carolina, uh, the Upload Conference, and the, 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 goal, the uh, title of the conference was The Preeminence of Christ. Now, if I were to ask you, is, does God have a priority in your life? You would probably all say, yes, he's, he's got a priority. But God doesn't want priority. You can have many priorities. God doesn't want to have priority. He, want to ha he wants to have preeminence. There's a big difference between priority and preeminence, and that's what God wants. Uh, let's take a look at Colossians 1.18. And this might show it a little bit more. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the priority. Is that what your Bible says? Yeah. Mine says preeminence. Preeminence, if you were to look it up in the Greek, in this particular uh, verse, means first in rank or influence. Very first. Now there's another one, if you turn all the way back to the end of your Bibles, just before Revelation, in 3 John. In 3 John, verse 9. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. This is the only other place in the New Testament where this verse or this word is, is found, preeminence. It's not the same as in Colossians 1.18. It's a different Greek word. The one here is a love or fondness of being first. Isn't that interesting? A love or a fondness of being first. That's what Diotrephes, he loved being first. He loved to be the top dog. And he, and he pushed his weight around. He didn't receive the Apostle John. He loved the preeminence. But that's not the preeminence in Colossians 1.18. That one's first in rank. Okay, so the people there didn't realize that standing in front of them was the one who was the express image of God's person, Hebrews 1.3. And yet they failed to give him his rightful place in their lives. What a tremendous teaching time that he had there with that Roman coin. He says, this belongs to Caesar. You belong to God. And you're not receiving me. You know, we have a dual citizenship. Yeah, we're, we're under this government. We're here in this country. And as Christians, you know, talking about Caesar and that sort of thing, 
<clears throat> the Lord didn't say, you know, who is this rascal on this coin? Who is this idiot? Did he say that? No. You know why? Because in Exodus 22, 28, Acts 23, 5, and Numbers chapter 16, it expressly says that we're not to say anything evil against authorities. A lot of times we love to talk about how corrupt our politicians are and that sort of thing, but the Lord says you're to pray for them. In fact, Peter tells us that um, we're to, in fact, let's take a look at that, 2 Second, Second Peter 2.19. So what is our response to those who are in rule and authority over us? We got 2 Peter 2.19. Uh, it's the wrong verse. I wonder if it's first Peter. Nope, I've got the wrong, I've got the wrong text. Thought I had it down there. But Peter basically says that we're not to. Uh, does anybody see where it is? I thought it was. First Peter 2. Thank you so much. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors. And there was, a, there was another verse I was looking for also that we're not to uh, speak evil of dignitaries. And um, you would think, okay, Peter, who was the dignitary in your day? Who was the Caesar in Peter's day? Anybody? Nero. Was he uh, kindly towards Christians? No. He put, them, he put them on crosses in his garden parties, put oil on them, and then lit them up so that they could uh, lighten his garden parties. And yet he tells, tells us that we're not to speak evil of dignitaries. I, for many years, I've, it's just been on my heart that... Um, and you know when you pray for those that are ruling and authority over you, it's really hard to say things against them. Are they perfect? No. No way. But we're to pray for them. We're to pray for our president, his wife Michelle, his daughter Malia, and his daughter Sasha. We're to pray for our governor and his wife Ann. Pray for their salvation. Because that's what God has asked us to do. Now finally, if we have the time, <clears throat> turn to John chapter 8. <clears throat> I, just, I just thought it was really... Interesting, if you go before in verse 7, <clears throat> in verse 50, uh, verse, uh, John chapter 7 and verse 50, Nicodemus, 
he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does not our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. True or false? False. Anybody know of a name of a prophet that came from Galilee? Elijah? <laughs> yeah, it was Elijah. So they were far off. They, they didn't understand what was going on. And then notice, and then everybody went to his own house. But ver, in chapter, verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. That was his prayer. That was the area that he, he uh, went to when he wanted to pray. And it says, now early in the morning, he came again <clears throat> into the temple and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set him in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. <clears throat> One of the most disheartening things that I've seen in the last bit, talking with different people from different assemblies, is the thing of immorality that has literally destroyed so many churches, so many assemblies. When, we, when I think about this, it just breaks my heart. I talked to one guy in an assembly, and he said, you know, for years we've gone out door to door. We've done all kinds of things in the community, trying to bring the people out, and we had gospel meetings, we had all these things, we haven't seen one soul saved. And we couldn't figure it out. Why was God not blessing our assembly? And then all of a sudden, the answer came. There were several in the assembly that were guilty of pornography, that were caught. You know, the scribes and the Pharisees brought this woman in the midst 
We need to understand something, people. Our sin will always be brought out in the midst. You can't hide it. You can't. You think of Joshua chapter 7 and the, the story of Achan. And because of his sin of when they went after Jericho and he took those things that he was told not to take, came back and he hid him in his tent. The family knew about it. You can't dig underneath your tent with the family in the tent and the family not knowing what you're doing. And you can't walk around camp with this beautiful brand new outfit when for the last 40 years they've seen what you've wore day after day. It's the same thing. And then all of a sudden you come up with new threads. Come on. You can't hide it. And the other thing about Achan was the fact that he wasn't even a leader. I mean, if it wasn't for that incident in Joshua chapter 7, we'd never know this guy at all. He was a nobody. So some people say, well, I'm, I'm a nobody here at Claremont, so I can go ahead and do what I, you know, get away with it, and it's not going to affect anybody. That's a lie. That's an absolute lie. Every one of us has to stand before God And so this woman was brought before the Lord. And I know that in, in 1 Corinthians 10 to 12, it says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We're not, none of us are immune to this. Not one of us. But if you are involved in a secret sin... You need to confess it to the Lord and ask forgiveness. And one of the reasons is, and I beg you to do this, and I, I look at my own heart, is that next week we're going to have over 100 kids. We have pre-registered. We've never had this number before of 100 pre-registered kids. Last year we had 60. This year we've got 100 We've got a tremendous opportunity to get the gospel out. And it's so important for each and every one of us to be before God. And if there's sin in our lives, we need to confess it and then forsake it. The, the Lord didn't say to the people uh, about this woman, uh, I'm not, you know, no one, no one should throw the stone. He said, yes, this woman deserves to be punished. That wasn't the point. The point was who was to punish her. And it was a person that was not guilty of that same sin. And so we don't know what was on the ground that the Lord wrote. That's one of the first questions I'm going to ask him when I see him face to face. What did you write? You know, and you don't probably say it's none of your business. <laughs> but whatever it was, it was a conviction in the heart of those men realizing, hmm, yeah, I see. I, I sure can't throw the stone. And a lot of people use this, the, a lot of people who are outside of Christianity, and they use that saying, well, look, you know, you're going around condemning. The Lord didn't condemn her. Well, let's be very careful here. He did say she should have stones thrown at her. 
He didn't say, forget the law. But there was only one person that was qualified to do that. And that was the Lord Jesus. And then he said something, and for a long time, you think about this. And he said to her, uh, verse 10, he says, Jesus raised himself and saw no one but the woman. He said, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. I think at that very point, she received him as her Lord and Savior. Because what happened after that? He said, neither do I condemn thee. The only way that he could say that rightfully is Romans 8, 5. Neither is there, uh, let's read it, I better, I better check it, I know we're out of time. Take a look at Romans. There is therefore, uh, 5, 8, 5, 8. Up. 8 1. I know I'd get it. I should have wrote it down. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. The Lord put his cross between that woman and her sin, and that's why he could say, I don't condemn you. But he couldn't do that unless she had accepted him as our Lord and Savior. Now, there might be someone here this morning. I don't know your hearts, but I do know one thing. If you ever want to enter heaven, there's only one way, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very first step is to admit that you're a sinner. It was obvious that she was a sinner. She got caught in her sin. And she came and said, Lord, just like the thief on the cross, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And at that very moment, he, he went from darkness to light. And so if you're here this morning and you've never asked the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you need to do that before it's eternally too late. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these examples that the Lord has given us. We think of this woman that was caught in this sexual sin, this moral sin. And she was, it was laid open for all to see. And yet we can see that the Lord responded to her need. Her need was to have her sins forgiven. And it happened the moment she said, Lord, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. And yet, Father, when he dismissed her, he said, go and sin no more. Father, he couldn't have said that to someone that was an unbeliever because they don't have the power and a lot of times the desire to sin no more. But Father, one of the things that proves to us that we are saved is that we sin less. We're not sinless, but we do sin less. And so Father, I just pray for these stammering words that were said this morning. I pray that your spirit would be able to teach us some of the things from your word and how lovely your son is. Oh, Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. 
for what he did for us at Calvary. He became a curse for us that we might enjoy heaven forever when we put our faith and trust in him. So, Father, we just ask that you would dismiss us with your blessing in your son's name.